Welcome to the How to Code Well podcast, a show all about web development and programming. My name is Peter Fisher. I am a freelance web and mobile applications developer. Hello coders, today we're going to be talking about acceptance testing and legacy code. Now as a freelancer, I'm exposed to a whole bunch of legacy applications. I seem to be working on lots of these legacy projects or working against a legacy application day in and day out. Um, And sometimes they're not really tested. Sometimes they're not well documented. We're talking about applications here that have been around for, for, for decades, quite literally decades, 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And there's been an awful lot of of developers working on these things during that lifespan. They've all contributed their own different styles and ways of doing things. And obviously the technology has changed and evolved through that period of time. So as a developer, I would like to have some level of confidence in myself that the code that I write against this legacy application is A, going to work, and B, is not going to break anything else in that application in the code that I have never written. So I never created this application to begin with. So I want to make sure that the code that I write on top of this application isn't actually going to break it. And you can't really for a 100% sure say that Uh, It won't break it unless you test it. So I use acceptance testing as a way of discovering that. And it gives me a level of confidence. So one thing I would really, what I really like to do is I like to test every single URL possible. So this is going through perhaps a sitemap where the URLs are requested and I check for the HTTP status code. So that is the the simplest thing that you can possibly check in an acceptance test. Is the HTTP status code coming back as a 200 OK? If it's coming back as a 500 or a 404 or a 400 or something else, then you have a problem. And you want to make sure that you can run these tests before you actually implement any new code to the system, because that gives you a level of confidence as the current stability of the code. As a developer, that is extremely important because it it gives you confidence. It gives you reassurance that the code that you're going to write, the changes that you're going to make are going to be made upon a stable platform. How many times have you been asked to build some feature on some code that you've never written that hasn't got a test against it? So I like to leave projects in a a stable sort of setting and I like to leave them with the knowledge that there is a repeatable test. Now, obviously, this doesn't happen all the time. Um, But it's something that I'm trying as a programmer to achieve more often, especially with things like TDD. So before I even go ahead and make the change, the new feature, I will test it. 
Um, so it's a failing test. So I create a test that I know fails because the feature hasn't actually been developed yet. Um, but then I can rerun the test when the feature has been developed and that should pass. So that's test-driven development basically in a nutshell. Um, also, when you're doing that, you have to make some decisions from the off, such as the URL structure. If the structure of the URL is wrong, um, then obviously that will fail. Uh, but you're, you're deciding there when you're doing TDD how the structure of the URLs will be will be created, uh, how the different parameters would be sent. If, is it going to be a GET request? Is it going to be a, a POST request? All of those kind of things. Um, and and that is, even though you're not actually building the feature, you are actually creating some really good decision points as how that feature should be developed and decided. Now, I don't I don't recommend building say half a dozen different failing acceptance tests because you want to make sure that you don't just end up with a bunch of tests that just fail, but the features just never got written. How many times have you have you been asked to build a feature and then you sort of build it halfway through and then you get taken off for that project and you're on another project now and you've still got half a baked thing with failing acceptance tests and then another developer gets hold of that. So you've got to be careful that you're, you're only testing what you're actually working on right away. Um, and it's something that I, it's something that I've developed or worked with recently. It's where, you know, you write all of these tests and you think, yeah, I'm going to, you know, build all these features out. And then suddenly the business requirements change and you've just spent half a day writing all of these, these, um, tests that you no longer need. So you need to be, you need to be, uh, properly defining what it is that you're building when you're doing the TDD. So writing acceptance tests is great because it gives you that level of regression over the code. However, running acceptance tests can be quite slow, especially if you've got hundreds, if not thousands of acceptance tests to run. This is because these acceptance tests are literally running a browser that requests and performs actions and behaves much like a user would on the website. And so everything needs to be running, you know, maybe there there is a feature that a user needs to log into. So you need to log into that before you actually get to the test. And all of those sort of before features need to ha need to happen. And maybe you need to have a cleanup as well. Perhaps you're doing it against a test database. So you need to tear that down and bring that back up again. So acceptance testing can be quite slow. And because of this, what I use is Jenkins to run those acceptance tests and it listens to perhaps a branch in the GitHub repositories. And when a change gets committed or merged or what have you, then Jenkins will run that build. And it runs that build on a completely separate box. In fact, in this office, I have uh, the, the Mac mini here that does all of the hard heavy lifting which means that I can work merrily on other features and other things whilst this is ticking away and coming back with a report. And yes, you might be thinking, well, why do I have to run all of these acceptance tests just because I've done a little small change? Believe you me, there's there's all sorts of scenarios that I can think of right now where I've done a little small change and it's actually had a massive impact with another piece of code that I wasn't even aware of because I never wrote it in the first place, but it, it had that sort of 
knock-on effect, if you will. So having acceptance tests is great. It's almost like having another developer just checking over your shoulder and just making sure that what you're writing is actually going to work and work with the existing system. Traditionally, acceptance testing follows a set of business requirements. So for example, a business requirement could be that a user logs in and sees a list of orders, previous orders that they've made. So the acceptance test could be written something like this. So they land on the homepage, they click on the login button, they fill out the login form with these provided credentials, they are now logged in. They can click on the My Profile page, they can click on the orders and they can see the list of orders. So that's quite a, a long series of steps that the acceptance test needs to fulfill. And it can take a long time to do that, especially if the acceptance tests are running on every change that you make. As a developer who does a lot of legacy code, it's always important to run these tests every time you make a major change. However, once you've got comfortable with the legacy code, once you've kind of, you know your way around it, then perhaps you want to be doing this either every hour or every evening or sort of every other day, or especially at every major release before every major release. Um, but the more tests you have, obviously, the slower it becomes. And I've, as I've mentioned, uh, you do do this all on a completely separate machine so you can develop the code whilst the code is being tested. But acceptability testing is both external and internal. Internal would obviously mean that these tests are created and ran by internal employees. But external testing is where you're not using employees, you're using people who are separate from the business, from the company. And this is kind of beta testing. So you might be uh, organizing a group of people if you, or, or, or perhaps a portion of the traffic and pushing that to a a beta version of your of your website and they would be clicking through it and then you would be recording the behavior any failures and the feedback so acceptance testing is actually quite a very broad broad topic not only are you writing the acceptance test as a developer or a QA tester but you're also allowing people just to click around the website or follow a series of of things that they need to perform in order to do this. Now, a QA engineer would probably be able to, to talk about that area in far more detail. And I would love to have a QA engineer on the podcast. If you are one, then do get in touch. Um, but as a freelance developer who works on legacy code quite frequently, code that I've never created in the first place. I use acceptance testing just to give myself a level of acceptability, a level of confidence that the system is stable. Now, obviously, we don't have a guest on today's podcast. There will be hopefully one in the coming few weeks. I'm going to be doing a bit of traveling, so the schedule might be a little bit messed up for the next couple of weeks or so. But thank you ever so much for watching here on YouTube or on the podcast if you're doing so on iTunes or on Spotify or, or what have you. Please do follow me on How to Code Well. That's at Twitter, that's at Facebook, that's at Instagram, and obviously here on YouTube. Thanks ever so much for watching or listening. 
Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.